Welcome to What's the Revolution, the show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can understand and embrace a healthier masculinity. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who listens to the show regularly, either live on Facebook or on SoundCloud. I appreciate all the support and love that has been shown for the show. I also want to thank my producer, Rachel Graham, and the man behind the scenes who makes all the magic happen, my main man, Jazz. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. The show does not happen without them. Lastly, I want to thank Susan Henry for giving me the opportunity to bring the show to a local, national, and international audience. You may ask why I am thanking people at the beginning of the show. I believe that gratitude is an essential part of our existence. Who are we not to show thanks for the efforts of others who support and love us? As we have seen, there are far too many of us who are seeking that support, particularly in times of strife, and not getting that help. The last couple of weeks have troubled me as I've watched men of color struggling with mental illness commit heinous acts that, in my opinion, should have been avoided. Example, Cedric Anderson, and more closely, one of my fraternity brothers, Steve Stevens. This is why I have decided to create the show, this show, to hopefully give men and the people who love them a platform, an outlet an opportunity to get the support they need to find the healthiest versions of themselves. Today I am joined to discuss mental health and well-being with my good friends, Dr. Brian Turner, professor at Xavier, and in a few minutes, my good friend, Brandon Nelson, the owner of BeFit NOLA. And if you don't know Brandon (laughs) and you want to get your butt kicked, you won't figure out who he is in a few minutes. But I'm going to start with you, B. What's going on? And I call B because I've been knowing Brian for a long time, man. First question that we always ask everybody, brother, what's your revolution? Well, first off, I'm going to join you in the thanks that you bestow upon those. And thank you definitely for having me here today as our conversations and our lives intermingle, intertwine, and we keep, you know, having these discussions, you know, outside. But but definitely the, the thanks to WBOK for continuing to be in the voice of our community and allowing for these conversations to take place. Definitely shout out to B over there with the fit because we all do need to be physically fit. So appreciate the work he's doing and, and definitely you, Charles, for the work you're doing. Um, man, I've been waiting for this opportunity. So my, my question, my answer for my revolution is ready Go ahead, for weeks, brother. months. <laughs> um, definitively, to your question, my revolution is to create a space where black men and men overall are able to explore the fullness of their psychological health, inclusive of their emotions, their fears, their vulnerabilities, their strengths, and all that that includes. So it's time for us to have a space where we can fully engage each other in this conversation around what does it mean to be healthy? What does it mean to get health? What does it mean to be to be in these spaces alone? Just just what does it mean to share? So that's my revolution. Brother, that may be the best answer that we've had on the show, man, and I appreciate yeah, you yeah, take, appreciate taking that. that. <laughs> I did my homework, bro. I did yeah, my homework. Man. Yeah, <laughs> man. I appreciate you, uh, you know, telling that story and to be healthy, and that's 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 the critical piece, and that's why we're having this show. And I'm I'm honored to have you in this conversation, brother, um, because I think very highly of the things that you do, the work that you're doing, 
you know, and, and, and just to be another brother in the psychological field as a clinician. And we don't have too many people mm -hmm. that look like you in the field, man. So, but we're going to get to that point in a minute. But tell my listeners a little bit more about you. Who is Brian Turner? Yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, man, I'm a, I'm a New Orleans native, and I love my city. It took me almost 20 years to get back here, so my appreciation is always to the city that birthed me and the city that 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 feeds me and the city that that maintains me. So, um, as a New Orleans native man, I grew up in in the New Orleans East area, Little Woods. Um, what that means, man, is that like coming out of New Orleans, I had the opportunity to to experience so many things, to to grow in so many ways, and also to to explore myself and and who that is and what that means. So, so Brian Turner is a, is a former athlete. He's a brother. He's a he's a son. He's an uncle. He's a he's a man of faith. Um, he's a professor. I'm a jokester. I'm a foodie. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist. And, and and at the end of the day, what I try to do is be the best um, keeper of my brothers and sisters as I can. So so Brian Turner attempts to be really just the best person that he can be in fulfilling all of the roles that I have. And that, that's beautiful. And then think about the, the multidimensionality of. Brian Turner, and it really encapsulates who we all are, an mm -hmm. amalgamation of all these different things. Yeah. And if I if I wanted to, I really wanted you to pick. I didn't have an agenda today. I, w I would want you to pick which one of those roles is actually most important to you. But for but for today, brother, mm -hmm. you said clinical psychologist. Yeah. You know, and, and that's big. I said Dr. Brian Turner, clinical psychologist. So all of those experiences that we just talked about. Why on earth did you want to become a clinical psychologist? That's not a conversation that happens in Little Woods when you're growing up, nah, is it? man, you're just trying to smoke or drink or chill or cool out, play some football or something. Man. Right. But, but, but honestly, man, what <laughs> I, it took me a while to tell the truth behind why I became a clinical psychologist. You know, when you go into grad school and stuff, you have to come up with this very, very um, um, clean-cut <laughs> rationale for your desire to pursue this career. Man, for real... Go ahead and say it. What happened was I was growing up in Little Woods. I, I was had the opportunity to to attend Isidore Newman High School. I would get up in the morning, 5 o'clock, I'm on the bus to Paris Road, number 72. What I saw was African Americans in New Orleans striving, trying to get it, but could not always figure out the best way possible. I got uptown to Isidore Newman. And what I saw were European Americans who were financially secure in a lot of ways. And guess what? They couldn't always figure out a way to get it. Yeah. So in the t in between time and the meantime, what I started thinking about, what, where was I best going to work and, and be happy? And so the clinical psych part came as I, I started exploring different careers and what people were doing and how they were helping. And what I found was that I wanted to help people be able to figure out how to make it every day, how to how to figure out problems, how to figure out solutions, how to come up with with ways to have a happy life. And so, the clinical psych piece was was a part of early on in life, wanting to help my friends, wanting to help family members, um, seeing problems and things that seemingly were persisting in people's lives that they just seemingly could not resolve. And so, I think the psychology field as a whole is the best problem-solving profession. I think we have the best research base. I think we have the best engagement piece. We are human folks. We are client-centered. So I think we're always trying to better the human condition. And so for me, 
it just became a natural feel to be able to sit with people, to sit with families, to sit with couples, to look at problems in our cities and in our in our in our lives and figure out solutions. So I did it because I wanted to help people solve stuff. That might be very hyper masculine in some ways, <laughs> but but there's a huge emotional piece to that. Mm-hmm. Which I think uh, I'm a Scorpio, and so I'm told a lot that I'm very emotional and, and I can be very sensitive. So, so that's the other part of it is that I recognize the sensitive, like humanistic part of me, that that also satisfies the connection of the people that that I think you know sometimes people run from. So, right. so that whole piece, man, from from like sixth grade going to Noom and catching the bus to now, I want to help people solve problems. And that's what it's about, and, and and that's the role of a clinician, to enable people to actually be able to couch their problems mm-hmm. and then find solutions. One of the things I want to unpack with you for a second is you talked about some of the things that your friends and your family members were going through. What yeah. did you see growing up that, you know, that really continued that impetus that maybe I yeah. want to help people even more? What did you see? You know, it's almost funny. My, my analogy oftentimes comes from my dissertation in that people tend to be able to handle the larger stressors of life. If you get cancer, you kind of know what to do. You go to the doctor, your insurance takes care of a lot of it, if possible. You get treatment, and you try to begin to change your lifestyle so that you're not going to have you know, recurring or relapses of cancer. And so if your house burns down, you know, you, you get insurance money, you, you, you kind of find a, you build another house, you do that. What I saw was that people were struggling with the everyday stuff, like like yeah, like financial problems, right? How do I handle my finances? How do I handle my romantic relationships? How do I handle the stress of life in terms of taking care of children, spouse, partner, work? How do I how do I figure out who I am in terms of my sexual identity, in terms of my racial identity? And I, I saw those things and it was very interesting to think that I didn't have it all figured out. So by no means at that time that I think I would be doing what I was doing. But I just would have those conversations with people like, well, hey, why did you do that? You know, what made you make that decision? That inquisitive nature. Right, right. right. What made you do that right. impetus for doing right. things? And so it began to be that I would listen to people come up with, like, these harebrained schemes, <laughs> like Doc Brown and Marty trying to go back to the future type <laughs> stuff. And, like, oh, that that could work, right, the flux capacitor. And, and then, like, also sitting with people and also hearing that, like, hurt. That pain. Yeah. That pain. Of, of trying something. And just today, actually, in psychotherapies, we were talking about a constructivist theory and how the reality is that we find that people, when they feel stuck because they keep using the same solution and they can't figure out what to do differently. And so then it creates a narrative by which they think, well, I'm broken. So I have this problem. I keep trying the same solution, i.e. payday loans. I go, I keep getting payday loans, and then I can't figure out why I can't save money. Then, but then I'm still stuck in the same financial situation. So how do I get out? Maybe I sell drugs or maybe I rob somebody or maybe I just give up. I, I commit suicide. Maybe that's the solution. And so so really, man, like being able to take time and, 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 and explore that that ideal of like how do we get here? How do we what problems are the ones that we can easily solve and which are the ones you need help for? And so I think that's another part of that reality is like seeing that people struggled more so with the small problems. The small problems. Interesting that you say that because we have to take a a more upstream approach in our life. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I can keep diving in the water to save people. Mm -hmm. I can keep diving in. I can keep diving in. But if I don't go upstream, right, right, to see what the issue is, why people are falling in Mm -hmm. the river, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Then all I'm doing is killing myself. Like you yeah. said, it's, it's that problem solving. If I'm doing the same thing over and I'm not getting the same results, I'm still feeling depressed, exactly. I'm still feeling hurt, you know, but I'm still chasing after this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
somewhere there's got to be that thought. And we don't always know how to do that. Right. We don't we don't always know how to do that. Right. So let's let's spend a little bit of time. Let's spend a little bit of time going back for a second. We've seen some trouble in our community, you know, yeah. our, our national community with men, particularly African-American men over the last couple right. of weeks. Cedric Anderson out in San Bernardino. Uh, as I said, Steve Stevens. You know, and, and we've seen, you know, particularly with Cedric Anderson, you see a contrast of this brother. If you look on his Facebook page, he was gushing about his wife. Uh-huh. Right. I love my wife. I'm a man of faith. All of these different things. But there was trouble. Right. You know, 2012, there was a domestic violence uh, arrest. Uh-huh. Charges dropped. 2013, there was a gun related charge. Charges right. dropped. Right. Now we get to 2017. The brother walks into a school. I mean, let's put that in perspective. He walked into a school with a 357 Magnum. His last words was that he felt disrespected and that he needed to settle the score. Mm. How do we get there, Dr. Turner? How, how do we get to yeah. the point where we walk into a school and we take our wife's life and then our own life and then there are ramifications mm. all around us? How, do we, how, how does somebody get there? So two thoughts, man, two thoughts. One, um, which which I, I'm going to shout out, Dr. Ronald Levant, um, Brother Richards, um, Joseph White, Nia Magball, Wade Nobles, all of the psychologists who've been doing a lot of work around black masculinity, masculinity as a whole. Black men tend to actually adhere to and aspire towards more Eurocentric ideals of masculinity than even European-American men. And I know you know this work because mm-hmm. I've cited you in my work. Oh, thank um, you, brother. Honor. <laughs> so, so, appreciate you. So, so one of the things that, that first and foremost comes to me when we had this conversation is that what are ways that black men can cope? And, and my dissertation involved African-American types styles of coping. And what we find is that historically black men have not been able to cope with problems. Mm-hmm. You have to suck it up. You just You know what? You Man know up. What you, do? you drink it out. You smoke it out. You beat something up. Right. You know? And that's been historically what's happened. And the story that I usually use in, in the same African proverb you were referring to is really the one about John Henryism. Mm-hmm. The idea that one of the strongest African-American men ever decided he had to outwork a, a steam engine. And he actually beat the steam engine. However, he died. He passed away. He beat it. But, it, but the cost of showing the world that he was so strong was his own demise. And so what I refer to at this point is that in reality, man, African-American men have to find healthy ways of coping with the stress of everyday life so that when we find ourselves in these situations, we don't we don't utilize the most horrific or the most deadly means. And that's the other thing. If we look at suicide um, statistics, we find that men actually don't commit suicide more often. They just tend to use more lethal means. More lethal means. Because when we decide that it's we going to happen... Yeah. We're going to make sure that it happens. I, and, and it's interesting that you bring that up, and I, I appreciate almost the softball mm-hmm. uh, that you just gave me because we would say that it, it's almost – suicide is almost hyper-masculine in itself mm-hmm. that I won't fail at this. Right. You know? Right. Because um, <laughs> if I fail, that is the feminization of that act. Exactly. And so I will not fail. I will take a gun. I will hang myself. Whatever the means are, I will succeed at this. I must. This. Right, I must. I must. I, My I last must. act must definitively show the world that I am a man. And, and one of the things that I've seen clinically, which I, I oftentimes, I'm always amazed at it, across the diversity of clients I've had. And I've lived across the country, so my clientele base has been more based upon who I'm in front of. But 
what I found is that European American men are able to explore their masculinity in such a broader perspective that it allows them to have those softer moments, right? Like, like you know, go back a couple of years with Lil Wayne yelling no homo after everything. And when I found little boys saying, say, bro, I love you, man, but no homo, that, that caveat, just, just to make yeah. sure that you understand that I'm still, right. I'm still bringing it. I'm still right. a man. Right, right. I, I, I'm, I'm a man, but I love you, though. And and then like how do we how do we explore that now and really taking time to say that that we have to be okay and and I know a couple of weeks ago you had Dr. Chavez on mm-hmm. and and that conversation was really really dope in terms of like that explore like that exploration piece but but that being that whole exploration of masculinity of manhood of personhood for men just being able to be inclusive that for men like like it's okay to not always be the strongest it's okay not to to always have to adhere to what are prescribed ideals of masculinity and to explore what that means. So so to have that space is, is one of the first things, going back to my revolution, to have a space where men can actually sit down and talk about if they have been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's that that's a conversation that's not having right. is not happening. Right. Is what not, what does it mean as a man to to not be the the, the breadwinner in your home? But you're happy with your wife. So when we think about Brother Anderson or when we think about um, Stevie, those two men are right now kind of kind of uh, highlighted because their 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 claim about their relationship status really you know kind of undercurrent is the undercurrent to what we're we're having an issue around is like something was going on in a relationship that they couldn't handle. Right. If it was cheating, if it was not being the breadwinner, whatever that is, but but they didn't find solutions that brought them to better outcomes. And, and that and that's the thing, the, so, the solution. Because you, you hear that level of disrespect. What, mm-hmm. In your professional opinion, what is disrespect? You know, for us, what what does that look like? I mean, it, it's probably it's an obvious question, but what does it look like? You know, I, I was asked a question some time ago in regards to the role that women play in terms of emasculating black men. And my response is, I don't think women emasculate black men. I think it's other men. Mm. I think what happens is, is we we find come up and stands and and tearing down another brother, whether it be about his shoes, his sexuality, his hair, um, the feminization of him, how um, he dresses, how he dresses. I mean, when we play the dozens, everything is about showing that I'm stronger, bigger, and better. And so I think that disrespect is is, is really a, a superficial experience. That really cuts to the core of how can I make this other man less of a man? And, mm. and, and I mean, we play ball. We've done this, whether it be on a basketball court or whatever. But what we find in so many ways is that's what happens, right? I'm on the court, and I have to call you out your name after I make a good shot. Right. I got to stare you down. Uh, yeah. Okay. I got to throw the ball at you. Right. You know? Or if you make a good play, man, you ain't. Right. Right. No yeah. good. Yeah. You listen to the What's Your Revolution show. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporum. Spitting right now with uh, Dr. Brian Turner as we talk about mental health and well-being. In a few minutes, I'm going to bring my boy on, Brandon, Turn- Brandon Nelson, excuse me, man, getting all these B's, B's <laughs> mixed up, um, to talk about the, the importance of physical well-being as, as it combines with mental health. Brian, coming back to you for one second, brother. Knowing all of these things, knowing that we need the ability to cope effectively, positively, how do we get men into the therapeutic process? 
And look, I, I I got two points for you, and 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 this is a hallmark of my research that I'm doing, looking at black men in college. The first thing is that we have to make it okay for brothers to connect to other brothers. The research is just continuing to bear out, and it's through mentorship, which we both know and love. It's through our professional relationships. It's through our personal. When black men connect with other black men who are doing well, they will do well. There, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the numbers can be a little bit different depending upon location and place. But when other brothers connect, they see that men love women. They see that we love and we show love. They realize that being intelligent and smart is not a rejection of masculinity. Mm. So so going back all the way to ancient Kemet, man, where, where African brothers and sisters ruled the world, being smart was what you wanted to be. When you even go to the to the to the beginning of hip hop, you know, cats wanted to be smart and use big words because they wanted to show in the streets that they was intelligent. Right. They wanted to prove that other people I'm I'm from the hood, but I'm just as smart as you. So so that's one. The second thing is and I, I I mean just I didn't know I was going first, but definitely shout out to B, you gotta take care of yourself. You have to be able to put your best foot forward. I struggle with my students and and I mess with my young men because there's so few in my classroom. But I ask them all the time, bro, why are you sitting in the back? How, how are you going to lead the world if you're in the back? How are you going to lead the, the, the sisters? How are you going to lead the community if you're in the back? So, so we have to take care of ourselves. So, so my thing is we have to make sure that we're fulfilling our passion or we're fulfilling our purpose. And my thing is there's a lot of passionate people who get stuck. But if you have a purpose, can't nothing stop you. Right. Right. No, I, I definitely understand that. But I definitely understand that. But what's going to make me walk in the door? Well, I think that that's what I, I think that's what mm-hmm. I want to get out. I want my listeners to hear what's going to I'm reticent because, you All know, right. there's that stigma behind gotcha, gotcha. you in therapy, dog. <laughs> what's well, going to make me walk in the door to come see you? Because I can go see yeah. B and feel good. You know, I can get that workout for 60 yeah. minutes, sweat yeah. it out and go home and still got that problem. But what's going to make me come see you? So, so first and foremost, we have to have people who care. So so you got to find someone who cares. And you do that by walking and having that conversation. If you want to call me, you can reach out to me, and I'll help you figure out if the person is legit, 504-2929-862. I'm, I'm trying to make something happen. I, I'm not going to put it out there yet. I got a few more conversations to have, but I might be that person you can come to. But what it comes down to is making sure that person is competent, is sensitive, and aware that they're in a position to help you. So be competent. They have to have the degree. Um, that's something we have to deal with. We all too often go to people who, who make us feel good but don't change the situation we're in. And that's that's the key. We want we want change. Mm-hmm. We, we, we definitely want change. I want to be able to walk in the door knowing that you got my back, right. that you are unbiased, right. because that's what we need. Because we can go, look. Go to the barbershop. Yeah, exactly. And go to the barbershop. Yeah. Oh no, no. Look, suck it up, man. You don't feel that way. You will feel that way that long. No, I'm. I've been feeling this way for a long right. time, and I need somebody to direct me, right? To give me that guidance. So quickly, man, because I'm gonna bring beyond in a second, man. What is the therapeutic process for those people who have never been to therapy? All right, who are thinking about, you know, who want to get past that stigma? What does the therapeutic process look like? therapeutic process is about you first and foremost the clinician should not be involved in any personal um self-exploration or personal gain even it comes down to money man i've seen a lot of people pro bono and i do a lot of work for free because i understand it's not about me but that process should begin with them taking time to understand you 
what brings you in and what your needs are. I tell people all the time, if I can't help you, I'm going to refer you to someone who can because it's not about me. I don't need your money. I'm going to make enough money anyway. So if I can't help you, my job is to help you find a person who can. So that's the first thing. The person should be totally invested in your well-being and your wellness and making sure you make it through. The second thing is that the process unfortunately does not happen overnight. Mm -mm. Most people want these things to change because that's our human nature. We want to not be in pain. We want to not be in discomfort, but we didn't get into these situations overnight. So we cannot expect solutions to come overnight. So the process can take a little while. That could be a little time and it's going to be hard. If you break your leg, you go to the doctor, but it hurt when you broke your leg. If you broke your arm, it hurt, but you have to go to the doctor and go through the process. Think of therapy as being put in the cast, and once that bone heals, that's when you get to come out the cast at the doctor's resolution. The last thing should be, and this is the point, there should be real change. You should not be in therapy without things changing or without the opportunity to change or without there being a focus on what things are changing. So, one, make sure the therapist, the clinician is focused on you and what's brought you in. Two, it does not happen overnight. And lastly, there should be some real change happening. That's what I would say. Be that those steps are important, and I'm glad that you were able to spell it out like that. There ha- and, and that end thing, real change. But I've got to go in willing because mm. what happens, you know, as a as a clinician, if I'm not ready, Mm-mm. you know, I, I might be seeking. Mm-hmm. Right? I might. It's like going to CB. I might be saying that I want to be fit. Right. And I mm-hmm. might go, but I might not be t- taking all right. the correct right. steps to be open minded to hear what you've got to say. And that's a critical piece, because if you're not ready to hear mm-hmm. and you're not ready in that mindset to change. Right. But it doesn't happen. work. It doesn't work. We're going to go. And, to the, and that's why I say it has to be about you. Right. Because if I'm the clinician, I might put you off and you might decide, yeah, this ain't fine ready yet. But if I make it all about you, then you can't run away from it. Just want to make sure you understand that you are listening to the What's Your Revolution show. And I've got two great guests on today, Dr. Brian Turner and the owner of BeFit, Nola Brandon Nelson. We're talking about mental health and well-being. We're going to go to the, our callers. Um, if you want to dial in today, 504-260-9265, talking about mental health and well-being. Hello, you're on the What's Your Revolution show. Hi. Hi, this is Christina Jones. How are you today, Dr. Corporate? Oh, Jonesy, what's happening with you? How you doing? I'm all right, thanks. What's going on? What's going I on? Was, I was just calling. I was listening. I think that was Dr. Turner talking about mental health and wellness, talking specifically about uh, attending therapy. Yes. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is that is, is listening to yourself and knowing you're ready for it, right? Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of friends who've gone to therapy Um, and sort of resisted everything they heard, so they've heard it outside too, right? They've heard it from friends, they've heard it in their own thoughts. So I think really the most important thing is recognizing that if you say you're ready, then you have to be willing to to sit in it a little bit because it's going to be a life-changing experience if you're willing to sit in it, right? If you're willing to, like, really think about what you already know in your head um, being kind of spoken back to you. That's been my experience. And uh, I went to therapy for about a year. It was great. It changed my life. I recommend it for everybody. <laughs> Josie, I, I definitely understand. And what do you mean, just quickly, what do you mean by sitting in it? Well, I think that a lot of times when we go to therapy, we learn some things about maybe some self-destructive behavior we don't even recognize is destructive, right? Whether it is 
like whether it's control, right? Like maybe you're a person who's always in control, you're a leader at work, you lead in your community, but that same control in your personal relationships makes it difficult to connect with your family or makes it difficult to connect with your friends or remain connected, right? And you, you know that about yourself, but if when your therapist, you know, asks questions about it, if you're not willing to accept that you have some culpability in that, that's what I mean by sitting in it, right? Like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, that's how this manifests itself in a negative way. Um, and I can see that in my life. Okay, so how do I do that different, right? Um, a prime example is I, I don't really watch reality TV, right? But I was watching um, Ileana's Fix Your Life, and people have various opinions about that, including myself. But one thing I saw was when she was talking to her about her actions toward her husband and how that sort of manifested in her not having the relationship she wanted, she wasn't willing to accept that, right? She said she wanted to come to therapy. She said she wanted to fix her relationship with her husband, but she wasn't willing to accept how her what she had just said and was repeated back to her made it difficult for her relationship to work better, right? If you're not willing to accept what you just heard said back to you by someone else, then you're not willing to sit in it and you're not really willing to deal with your part in your life, right? Yeah. You're still kind of in a blame state. Right. What, what Ms. Jones is talking about, I'm, I'm saying Ms. Mrs. Jones is talking about is called what we call functional fixedness. It's where people, they're, they're kind of like they, they're not okay with what they're doing, but it's the way it works for them. Right. And nobody wants to have that mirror held up to them to say, hey, you know, you're not really doing it the best way possible. So right. what if you maybe changed it? And, and definitively, one of the things I say in therapy, Ms. Jones, is um, sometimes you have to be comfortable comfortable with discomfort. Right. You know, you got to right. sit through this sometimes and let it stew so that you can really understand what's happening so that when you're ready to make the change, you actually know what you're changing and why. So so I agree with you. That functional fixedness is real, and people are okay. I mean, the example I use in class all the time is the person who uses a shoe to hammer and the nail in the wall, right? <laughs> As right. much as they know they could go buy a hammer, it's the best thing possible, they just kind of keep doing it the way they've learned. And and right. they should change. They should. But but they don't see a reason why yet until, what, the shoe goes through the wall or they can't find the right shoe. Then it's like, oh, my God, now I have to actually change. Right, right. And, you know, I want to say this one last thing and let you move on, but uh, the organization that I co-run with my co-founder, Larry, we have seven important values, Brothers in Power to Teach, and one of those values is being uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable because mm -hmm. we're asking our young men to dig deep and think hard about how their own experiences and the experiences of the kids they work with um, impact them. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, way to think about it, right? You've got you to figure out how to be comfortable being in an uncomfortable situation. It's what makes us move. <laughs> right, right. Christina, thanks exactly. for calling. We uh, appreciate the knowledge. Uh, tell Larry I said hello. It was good to see you all the other day. Okay, thanks. So we're going to shift this conversation a little bit. We've, we've been dealing with the mind, you know, and, and how we get to that point where we want to go to therapy. Dr. Turner has dropped knowledge with us about what happens in therapy. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking strongly about maybe it's time for me to go, do that because you've heard that therapeutic process. And if you're ready and willing to sit in discomfort, that's where the growth is. But the other side of that happens is that you cannot just deal with your mind, all right? You just can't deal with your mind. It is a mind and body revolution. And as I said, I've got my good friend, Brandon Nelson here, owner of BFIT, NOLA, personal trainer to the New Orleans community. B, 
appreciate you being patient, man. I'm glad to be here. You know, um, so again, I'm going to ask, man, what's your revolution? So uh, my revolution is breaking down barriers through cultural capital using fitness. Um, I find that fitness opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, it's, it, it's been an amazing thing in my life, and it's opened up doors to a lot of different cultures that's helped me overcome any obstacles that I might have had. Um, I got into the fitness industry uh, because I wanted to be on the preventative side. And I always felt like, you know, we're always trying to fix the problem after the problem as opposed to fixing the problem before it. What are these habits that are coming up that are putting you in this position? So, uh, again, you know, cultural capital, we'll talk more about that. But just breaking down barriers that people might have, it might be fear or it might be lack of motivation. It could be any kind of excuse that uh, puts you in the position of why you're not healthy. And so I like to use fitness as a tool to help, you know, break down that barrier. Gotcha, man. Thank you, man. So as always, my listeners want to know who I bring on the show, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Why, what part of your life, you know, stands out that says, you know what, maybe if I start taking care of my body, I can be the person I want to be. I can be the healthiest version of myself. So, you know, as I listen to you guys um, talk about, you know, the mental health aspect, I always think about balance, you know. Um, to me, having balance in your life will help eliminate a lot of problems that you may be encountering. Uh, so for me, I got started by learning how to box about over a decade ago, and it helped me relieve so much stress. It helped me deal with all the problems I was having as, you know, being a young man and dealing with my anger or dealing with, not being successful because I'm, I'm young, I'm still trying to make it. And I found boxing to be a great outlet. And I love teaching people, you know, I've always been a fit, uh, aquatics director, I've always taught people you how taught to Taught me swim. how to do the backstroke. Yeah, brother. sure did. <laughs> <laughs> so when I learned boxing, it was just such an empowering thing. And I was working at Tulane at the time um, as a lifeguard and as building manager, and I had an opportunity to get certified as a personal trainer, and I saw that Tulane was dealing with a lot of problems with uh, women being raped. Um, and I wanted to empower women. And so I started a boxing class and it just thrived from there. And that's been my biggest platform. So yeah, I've definitely uh, viewed that opportunity to meet all these individuals and express to me their causes, their concerns to want to be active and want to be fit. And some people would use, you know, all these different excuses, but I found that doing something that you're passionate that makes you happy that you wake up and you want to do it again. That really kind of helps you um, attain these goals. Gotcha. So we, we're trying to combine it now, this conversation between mental health and well-being and physical health. Why is it a necessity to have both the mental, you know, health, positive mental health and also positive physical health? Why is it a necessity to combine the two? I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're made to move. You know, you spend hours sitting down at a desk. You might spend four or five hours before you get up. You know, you need to be active. You need to burn off these energy, this energy that you have. Uh, it'll help you have a calmer mind. Uh, so, again, I keep going back to balance. And if, if you find yourself sitting down all day and mm. just not doing anything and all you're doing is eating unhealthy foods, you're going to feel bad. And when you get up and you're active, you feel great afterwards. Mm -hmm. You feel like you've accomplished something. Your body is more relaxed. Uh, you sleep harder. You find that your appetite might be suppressed. So there's so many benefits to uh, incorporating fitness. And it also kind of plays as a mental aspect because there's a big fear 
or lack of desire to want to go work out. But the common thing that seems to come up after the workout is like, man, I accomplished that. I feel great that I was able to accomplish that workout. It just seemed impossible, especially if you come in, you know, to my gym. Got to plug Body Be Fit, NOLA. Address, address, address. <laughs> yeah, so we, right now we're going to be opening a new studio uh, March 1st. We'll be have a first. May first, week, May, May 1st. 1st. Excuse me, I, I've been wanting to get into March. But May <laughs> 1st, we'll have our first week free. So anybody that wants to come out, you can come to our studio for free. We offer 25-minute classes. We offer boxing, Versa Climber, Mega Former. Um, if you're not familiar with Mega Former or Versa Climber, you can check out our webpage at bodybefitnola, B, not B-E, dot com. And there's great detail about what we offer as well as uh, Body Fit Nola on Facebook and Instagram. But going back to this piece of equipment that we have with Mega Former, Versa Climber, and Boxing, these are all very intimidating pieces of equipment. But once you get past that and you get into the workout and you accomplish it, you fall in love with it. And we make these workouts attainable because they're 25 minutes. You know, so there should be no excuse. And also, the one thing I do want to bring up that I haven't really heard is that a lot of things are unattainable because it's not affordable, especially in the black community. Like, if I want to go get therapy, I'm not mm. going to go because it sounds expensive. And especially if I don't have health insurance, um, things like that. When it comes to fitness, a lot of people are like, man, I, I, I like working out, but I'm not going to spend all this money to come work out. Well, at Body Be Fit, we make it affordable. Uh, it's within reach. We want to make sure that uh, having unlimited membership is cheaper than your cell phone bill. So again, oh, wow. just yeah. So check out the say webpage. that say that again. It's cheaper mm. than your cell phone bill to have a membership at Body Be Fit Nola. And and and, and I know you you you're giving a, a shameless plug about your uh, Body Be Fit Nola, but the thing about that is that that's one of the reasons both things don't happen, particularly mm-hmm. in some communities, is the affordability or the uh, or the prospect that I can't attain that. When I think about therapy on Dr. Turner's side, well. I may not have the insurance to go. Well, sometimes you got to, you know, be able to negotiate. You can mm-hmm. negotiate because if we are practitioners in our communities, whether it be for the body or the mind, we also know that we've got to help our community in mm-hmm. some way. Yes, um, yes, yes. And and we see the, the the opportunities for mental health in other communities because they have the the, the possible means to pay for mm-hmm. it. But we've got to figure out ways, and I, I love to hear that, B, that you're gonna that you're gonna make it affordable. Right. Now, I understand you still got to run a business. Right. You know, you still got to run a business. But what happens is that we begin, we get into our mind, I can't afford that, you know, so I, I can't do that. And we've got to get out of that mindset. But I want to go back one second to you said, is that when you go and move, right? The mind has to continue to grow. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of us are athletes, you know, one older than the other. Um, <laughs> various stages. Yeah, yeah, various stages <laughs> of athleticism. But even now, we have to continue to grow. Right. But if you don't push yourself and, and, mm. and place the mind and body in a state of discomfort, and so I'm sure that when I come to Body Be Fit NOLA, I'm going to get an, an, another workout. It's not going to be the same workout. Because what happens is that the mind adjusts. It doesn't grow. Right. If I don't add weight, you know, if I'm still lifting mm-hmm. the same 25 pounds two years later, my body hasn't grown. The body wants some stress. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's called being efficient. It, it's called being efficient. So don't be afraid is what you're saying. Right. All right. But, Challenge your body. Right. Dr. Turner, speak to one second how the brain works mm-hmm. through that piece and how it's effective from a mental health perspective. Yeah. Well, well, what we know about the brain and, and the psychology of how we operate as people is that 
we generally speaking don't grow if we don't challenge ourselves to read more, to learn more, to, to engage in these intellectual and these cognitive processes and, and these mental gymnastics, if even. So so if we're stuck in this in the space, just like with the physical body, you become stagnant. And what you'll find is that you'll begin to lose it. So so from a mental perspective, man, that's why we have to have these engaging conversations. I mean, man, just recently I was challenged by students because when I asked them a question, they hit me back with stuff that I hadn't thought right, about. Right. And so I said, well, how come y'all been holding back on me? <laughs> well, well, you didn't ask us that question. <laughs> so it, it becomes just as important for me as the professor to have that challenge because I don't know at all. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask students. So just the same way, we have to ask ourselves, just like we do with our bodies, we push our bodies to that point. If, if it's running, if it's weightlifting, if it's, if it's, if it's cardio, we should do the same with our mind. It's time to read that next level book. It's time to have that next conversation. It's time to engage in that next mental process to see how far can we stretch our mind just the same. Exactly. And you think about the neuro, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little geeky here, <laughs> is that you think about serotonin and dopam mm. dopamine in yep. the brain and yep. how they impact in, in the mm -hmm. same way. If there's an activity that is actually challenging us, the brain will actually secrete more dopamine. Right. right. right? It's a reward particularly, and that reward is even higher if – once we get to the point where we have achieved, because the mm -hmm. first time, the first time, and if we fail, right, we have to say, I'm going to then continue. Because sometimes yeah. in, in that failure, right, mm -hmm. in that we failure, learn. we learn, mm -hmm. we learn, but you have to see the failure for something as progress. Because that first time you go to therapy, that third time you go to therapy, or that third time that you go to be vetinola, you fail, you know? I think that goes back to, again, my conversation about cultural capital and Dr. Turner going to Newman. Um, I went to St. Og, and I didn't get introduced to that uptown culture until I was on the debate team. And mm. when I first stepped on Newman's campus, I was blown away mm. at all the resources and um, people in that environment that was willing to push each other. And I think about my environment going to St. Augustine. It was a great environment. It opened up a lot of doors for me. It gave me a lot of culture. It gave me uh, my swagger. You know all these things. Swag. But, but I, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't see. I didn't get to see uh, that different environment at Newman that that might have challenged Dr. Turner to become a doctor. You know, and and so in the community with the black community, there's not enough people around to push people and tell them it's okay to fail. Um, it's okay to be in a position where you may not achieve your goal the first time you do mm -hmm. it. So we just need more people who can help reach out to these uh, individuals who are in desperate need of help and want to make a change, but they just don't have that, that connection. They don't have that hand that's helped pulling them into that environment. Yeah. Yeah. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we break those barriers down? You know, the interesting thing is that you talk, we talk about failure, and particularly in marginalized and oppressed communities, failure has consequences. Failure, ha failure has consequences. Other communities have the opportunity to fail with mm -hmm. growth. Oh, yeah. they, can, they can fail forward. Mm -hmm. For our young men, particularly boys of color and African-American males, and you know, in particular, there's failure. You fail, and there are going to be consequences. Mm. Oh, yeah. What happens with our physical health particularly if you get to see that, that if you fail and you can fail forward in this instance, you learn that there are opportunities to grow. So how are you with BFIT NOLA allowing people, and I know this may be challenging, 
challenging them to failure, but then also allowing them to say, you know, we're here with you to grow. Right. So I think that comes with just being uh, a good leader, you know, at uh, Body Be Fit. You know, we strive on making sure that all our instructors are great leaders um, and connected to the community. Um, one avenue that we'll use is uh, on Friday evenings, we want to extend our doors open to uh, kids from anywhere, but, you know, particularly urban environments to come in and get some boxing lessons. We want to wear that child out and, and put him in a position where he thinks he, he might be a, a or bad, she or she could be a, uh, you know, this bad guy or bad girl that can take on anything. And then we apply a little pressure and, and put them in an environment they're not used to and kind of show them a little bit of failure. But we, we finish it up with success and praise and, and, and show them that there's there's a bigger picture to this. This is an ongoing process that's never going to be finished, but you can still find value in accomplishing or overcoming these small obstacles that are put in front of you. And that empowers people, and and especially our, our, our youth. And that's, and that's what we need, empowerment. You're listening to the What's Your Revolution show. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru, having an amazing conversation with Dr. Brian Turner and Brandon Nelson of BeFit NOLA talking about how that combination of mental health and physical health allows us to be the healthiest versions of ourselves. Brandon, how do we get men and the people who love us, all right, to start thinking proactively about their fitness? Because what, here, let me just start this, this, this question was, I was at the Family Justice Center yesterday and um, want to give a big shout out to them. They had their annual sexual assault prevention summit. I want to give a shout-out to Councilman Jason Williams. He and I both were able to speak yesterday about healthy masculinity and and its impact on stemming and mitigating sexual assault. But I was also able to do a couple breakout sessions with some middle school and high school students. And one of the shocking things to me, as I asked the young ladies to talk about healthy and unhealthy and what they wanted to see in their partners, particularly their male partners. And they had all these things. They wanted them to be healthy. They wanted them to eat right. They wanted them to take care of themselves. But when it came to them, they were like, I can eat anything that I want. And I was, I was shocked. I was shocked. They were like, no, I don't really, you know, I can eat. And then the, the concept of what is healthy. So how do we get people to start thinking proactively, particularly at a young age, about their fitness? Uh, well, education um, is important. You know, I kind of find it interesting when I talk to uh, any young kid. You know, I ask them about nutrition, and I'll say, you know, do you know what a carbohydrate is? Uh, do you know what a fiber uh, is or protein? And they don't know what these things are, and that's some things that are aren't being taught in school. And you know, that's something that I, I definitely can't really have a big impact on. But what I can do is help other leaders understand the value of balance and that comes through nutrition and how that has a huge impact on, on, on youth. And again, just being active, getting youth to be active. We, we kind of live in this day and age where everything is um, on electronic devices. So they're sitting down all day. Uh, everything comes now. So they'll go to a fast food chain and eat mm-hmm. um, food that just comes out. They don't want to wait. And that's just a habit. You know, it's just getting people out of the habit and helping them understand that they can still live this traditional lifestyle that, you know, a lot of people live in New Orleans, but still eat healthy by incorporating uh, certain things. And I just encourage uh, the youth and also leaders to read. You know, you can really find a lot of this information online. You know, you have your phone in your hand. It's literally a gateway to any piece of information that you want. You can find it. 
just by typing in Yahoo or Google search. And, you know, I think encouraging our, our, our youth and challenging them. Don't just say go read a book and don't follow up with them. I think that's another thing that tends to happen is we have these high expectations on the youth, you know, to be successful, but we don't follow up with them to make sure that they're doing the things necessary to um, achieve these goals. I think we have to create a, a, a groundswell as well, and I love the answer that you gave, showing, modeling it. We do, particularly young adolescents, and even now, even as older adults, we'll still buy into the fat. We'll still, we'll still buy into the fat. But if we get to see a groundswell, a, a, a group of young people who, mm-hmm. who are eating well, you know, who are eating kale and mm-hmm. collards, uh, things like that, things that are inexpensive, you mm-hmm. know, because I think when we think about eating healthy, we think that it, it costs a lot. Um, but we can ensure, and I have good friends all across the, the East Coast, the West Coast, who find ways of teaching children how to eat healthy from an economical means. Mm-hmm. And I think if we create that groundswell, and, and, and young brothers need to see this, because remember the show is for men and the people who love them, they need to see the healthy aspects and of eating, because we know about the health disparities that happen mm-hmm. with men. We, lowest in life expectancy of any race and gender, all right? Mm-hmm. Highest rates of chronic health, uh, chronic heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure. Obesity. Obesity. Anxiety. Anxiety. Keep it going. I mean, we we could go all day. But we also know that using fitness and food, we can mitigate Mm -hmm. so much of that. Mm -hmm. And it has to, you know, it has to start at a young age. I didn't see that. You know, I grew up with my mom making, um, you know, hog maws and chitlins and fried chicken. Mm -hmm. You know, even now when I go home, I'm like, Ma, I can't eat that. You know, um, and she's tried to be, but that's not what I saw. And I, mm-hmm. and I, I love my mama's fried chicken, you know, but it, it, it was something that we didn't see. But I think we have to have more images of that. I know the schools are trying, but our children need to see it. Because I was shocked, B, that those young ladies were like, I want my brother to look like this, but I can eat whatever I want to eat. Right. And then mm-hmm. the concept, their concept, and I did a chart with them to say what's healthy and what's unhealthy food. And most of the stuff was in the middle, like, mm, I don't know, this might be in the gray area, or it was unhealthy. Right. And so it's something that we, we need to see. How do we become more consistent in our practice? Our time is running out, brothers. How do we become more pers- consistent in both our mental practices and our physical practices? Big, you go ahead, brother. I'm going to keep going back to uh, breaking down barriers with culture, uh, you know, there's so many other cultures that a lot of people don't get an opportunity to see what they do on a day in and day out, and that'll really give a lot of people a different perspective of life. And I think the more you step outside your comfort level, and like you guys talked about being uncomfortable, and, and try something new, the more you'll find that it's, man, this is a different way of life, and I really like this. And it could be uh, trying a new fitness class somewhere else, you know, or trying uh a new way to eat, you know, all these different things can definitely open up a lot of doors for you, but you have to take that first step. You know, I can't sit here and say there's an easy solution to uh, to helping people out and obtain these goals, but what I can tell you, the first thing you need to do is just try, and, and, and don't be afraid of failure because, you know, you might not get it the first time, you might not get it the second time, but experiencing new things, one fitness class might not work for you, one uh, way of eating might not work for you. 
you know, as long as you keep trying, eventually you will uh, find the right path that works best for you. And as as I, you know, as me as a leader, I need to continue with my education, keep experiencing different cultures um, to help bring these new ideas to my clients and to the community to help them see what's going on. Because a lot of times all you get is what's on Instagram. You see these these young ladies or the, mm-hmm. these young men who are in the best shape of their life. Best and, all, shape. and you're like, man, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Right. And you have no idea how to do that. And, and they tell you some, you know, get get fit quick scheme or something like that. And that's not the case. It's hard work. Those people work out all the time. They are pretty much measuring their food. And the only way you're going to learn that is if you step outside your comfort zone and really put yourself in that environment to really see what it takes to be like that. You know, don't look at the, the, the surface layer of, of these things. Dig deeper. Yeah. I can I can only echo the, the idea around education and, and being in higher education. I think the struggle is people think when we say education, be they think we mean go sit in the classroom for four years and get a degree. But when we talk education, we're talking about life changing, altering skills and abilities that when you're educated, you can change your position in life. You can change your family's position. When we talk about generational wealth, when we talk about generational health, that's what, Brother Cooper, you just hit on, is that if our parents taught us better how to eat, if our parents taught us better how to read, and, and I, I had this little moment with my mom where I told her she had lied to us about some of these things. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was driving, so she couldn't hit me, <laughs> so she couldn't you know, kill us. But, but the point was, like, like, we as a community have to educate ourselves, whether it be physical health, mental health, financial health, relationship health. We have to sit down and be educated. And so my, my, my imploring to, to the, our listeners, to ourselves, to our brothers and sisters is sit down and get that knowledge, man. When it comes down to one's mental health, it is okay to say, I am not feeling like the person I want to be and I need help. And to sit down and find out who is it that I can go to. Find out who it is, where you can go, what you can do. And the situations that you can be put in to be better. So, so yeah, it takes time, man. And sometimes it, it is a book, you know. Sometimes you can find these things out by doing a Google search or a Yahoo search. But it's about educating oneself on what one can do to change their position and their space in life. And so take that time, whether it be your physical or your mental health, get that knowledge, man. Definitely, definitely. And, and that's how we continue that practice. But you have to be, wa- you have to be willing and wanting to, you know, revolutionize your life I, I think you can do that um, with a plan you know some people are motivated by spending money uh, some people are motivated by making goals uh, some people are motivated by throwing themselves into something so you really have to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and what motivates you um, you know get on the internet and tell people I'm gonna lose weight and by the end of the month I'm gonna lose five pounds you know make that announcement and that's really gonna really get you started on your goal but you can't just look at the end result and say, I want to be there. Start from the beginning, make a plan, write it down. That, that's something that will definitely help you out with that, uh, writing down your goal and your, your process of what you think you need to do to obtain that goal. Because you, you, you go by different things every single day that kind of will help move you in the right path. You might be driving down the street or listening to the radio and somebody says, we have a, a, a fitness seminar that's going on. It's free. We'll teach you how to, how to work out, how to eat healthy. And mm-hmm. that might be the thing that really gets you started, but you may not be paying attention to that because you haven't laid out the detailed steps for your plan to achieve that goal. You know, there's not going to be a simple fix. No one's going to walk into your house or call you and say, hey, I'm going to change your life and make you fit or make you mentally um, healthy. 
you have to take the first step. And I think that's something that plagues a lot of people. Yeah. So where do we start? If I if if um I wake up tomorrow, I'm that I'm that person that says I want to start. Do I start with Brandon, or do I start with Dr. Turner? Where where do I go? What do you think? I'm pitting you against each other. Well, of course, you come to Body Be Fit Nola, um, and we can give you some great information. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure it, it it wouldn't matter which way you go. Um, you're going to find balance, and I, I, as long as you're taking the first step to make a change in your life, there's no right or wrong step that you're making. You're trying. And that's the most important thing that you have to remember is that I'm going to try day in and day out to do something to better my life and make a goal. You know, 25 minutes of, of fitness or reading, one of the two, every single day will change your life. And it will change your life a lot faster than you think. It'll still be a process, but it'll change your life if you try every single day. It's okay if you fail. It's okay if you come up short. It's okay if you miss some time. But as long as you have that goal in front of you to remind you what you're trying to accomplish, you'll get right back on it. Well, man, my thing is going to be to do both. So whenever I work with an individual or family, I always want to know what their physical fitness is. Um, when I'm usually in a setting, I do have the opportunity to do an evaluation of physical fitness or just general health. So if I see that there's something a little off, I can I can make that overture and say, man, look, I got a guy over here, you know, body be fit and all of that go ahead and tell him i referred you you know he'll work with Might you give a little, little bit. discount oh, yeah. you know for sure he'll, he'll work empowerment with you both right. working together and, and that's that's what it's about man and actually that was that's really what i was going to say at some point man we have to make sure our community of healers and providers are connected so that we have a holistic interdisciplinary team that i can sit down with one person and say look before we get started i need you to go see b I need you to go over here to this nutritionist. I need you yes. to go ahead and do this checkup. And once I get all that back, we'll be ready to roll. Right. So my thing is I, I want a holistic team to really provide this healing. And that's what I think we have to think about is it is not a one-dimensional thing. I can't yeah. go to be, I can't without you. I can't have, you know, a lack of understanding about my nutrition. Right. Brothers, it's been wonderful, man. It's been an amazing conversation with you all. I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you do for our community. Thank because you, man, for what you do. I appreciate yeah, you, man. Thank you for having me. Every day, every day I think about what this revolution is. And it's not just this show. It is what we do as a collective people, as you said, of healers. This is just a conduit. This is just an opportunity for the people that I know who are doing good work to come and talk about their revolution. Appreciate your time. As always, I want to give a shout-out to the W.K. Kellogg Foundation for their unwavering support of this show. We'll continue the conversation next week about mental health and well-being when we talk about black men and suicide. I look forward to that conversation. Please check us out on SoundCloud. Always ask yourself every day, what's your revolution? Have a great week. Take care. Oh, yeah.